Thanks, Chuck. And uh, when Chuck said middle-aged children, uh, I think he was just thinking about himself, actually. So, uh, but Chuck, thanks. Appreciate it. Um, we're so grateful uh, that you're here today. Uh, my name's Chris, and uh, we're excited to kind of uh, finish our series that we've been looking at uh, throughout the summer uh, on the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, you know, I think most of us would say that our lives are under control. We've got it together. We're good to go. Uh, things are okay. And we hate it to have any people think that our life is out of control, that we're beyond health, that we're difficult to deal with. And yet the reality is that we all struggle with some issue in our life that is out of control. Some behavior, some habit, some activity that is tangling us up today and controls our tomorrows. A few years ago, my wife Jennifer thought it would be a really great idea if uh, we went on a family vacation with her parents and her sister and my brother-in-law, Jeff. And uh, we got together and we went down to a little place called Del Hollow Lake and we had a family vacation. We were on a houseboat together all week long. Now, I'm sure that your families are healthy and happy experiences where you just can't wait to spend more time with each other. Like take an RV all the way to the West Coast and back, and you just love being together. But if you spend a whole week together on a houseboat, you might lose some self-control and some restraint. And I knew this was going to be a very interesting time when we all got on the boat and the other two men that were going, my father-in-law and Jeff said, I'm not driving this thing. So here I'm left to drive this houseboat and I don't drive a car very well. So you go around and basically what you do is you try to find a little landing that you can ramp the boat into. And we went to one, and we tried to ramp it, and it didn't work. We went to another one and tried to ramp it. It didn't work. Finally, I thought, I found Gilligan's Island, you know? It was like right there. If you're uh, in your 20s, you're going right now, I have no idea what he's talking about. There was a funny show called Gilligan's Island. Just go with it. Look it on the Internet. You probably are already doing it anyway. It's on your iPad or something. <laughs> but anyway... We finally, you know, find this place, and I'm like, this is it. We are claiming it. And I ran that sucker up once, and it doesn't stay. Again, and several times, actually several hours passed. But this was the perfect spot, and we finally got it up there. And then what you have to do is you have to take rope that's a lot bigger than this, from the boat, and you have to form a V and wrap around two big trees. Now, this is the only problem. I don't know how to tie knots. I mean, 
you get beyond like tying your shoes and I'm lost. But my father-in-law, luckily, knew how to do this. And so we get all these out, NVs, they wrap it around. He was in Boy Scouts and he was able to do that. You see, if you're in Boy Scouts, and I'd encourage all of you to do that because then your kids will not be lost like I am. Especially if you have boys or girls, I guess. And uh, so he ties it, he gets everything right. But in Boy Scouts, you get a badge for not tying. In fact, to get from Weebelows to Boy Scouts all the way to Eagle Scout, not tying is a huge part of it. You want to see what I learned this week? I didn't learn anything. <laughs> I don't know how to tie knots. I still don't. But the more I thought about it this week, I realized that even though I don't know how to tie knots with these larger kind of ropes, I perfected the ability to tangle myself up in behaviors and actions and habits my whole life. I'm great at not time when it comes to that. Friends, you see today, some of us have some area, some behavior, some activity in our life that we are absolutely powerless over. So let's just look at a few of the areas that we get kind of tied up in. Here's the first knot. Spending. Spending. It's that little plastic card that is in your wallet or in your purse and in the corner it says MasterCard or Visa or Discover. And you don't know what comes over you, but every time you're in Walmart and they say something like the prices are falling and crashing to the floor, you go there and you buy something even though you don't need it. And then afterwards, you feel guilty about it. You might even feel sick. And you, when you're walking out the store, you say to yourself, you know what? I'm never going to do that again. But a week goes by and you do it. For others of us, it might be something different, like gambling. You've never been to a riverboat that you didn't enjoy. You've never gone to a racetrack that you didn't like. You've never passed by a bingo parlor without having to stop in there because you think you're going to win. And so we get tied up. Some people can never go to Vegas without putting quarters into slot machines. For others of you, the habit is related to eating. And it's not simply, you know, that you need a little concannons every once in a while or a crispy cream donut. But this struggle for you is complex. I was reading this week that 40 to 80 million Americans suffer from compulsive eating. Anorexics, on the other hand, they fear eating. They fear that even if they smell food, that somehow they're going to gain weight, and so they refuse to eat. And let me just tell you this, if you're a dad, they've actually shown that the way you engage with your daughter has a direct correlation to what her eating habits will be. 
a great book if you want to read it called Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. You guys should read it. But it has a direct correlation to how they view themselves because of how they're treated by their father. Bulimics, on the other hand, choose to eat and eat well, and then they purge that food by self-vomiting, creating a vicious cycle of purging and eating, purging and eating, and it's impossible to break. For others of us, we get tied up maybe with alcohol or drugs. What happens with people at this point is that they try to mask the pain in their life, so they just go ahead and they drink or they take some drug to kind of numb themselves. And no matter how hard they try, though, they can't get beyond the madness. And when an addict says, I want to stop, but I can't, believe them, folks, they can't do it on their own. That's why we have something like Celebrate Recovery. Another knot that people kind of get tangled up in is their mouth. I think I just hit everybody in the crowd on that one. The book of James says that the tongue is the smallest of instruments, but that it can create the greatest amount of damage. One word may just be a spark, but before long, it becomes like this gigantic forest fire. Our words are kind of like a chain reaction, aren't they? Dad comes home, he's tired, he's mad, it's been a bad day. He yells at his wife. The wife goes to the older brother who didn't get everything done and she yells at him. The older brother then goes to the younger sister and he yells at her. The younger sister goes over to the dog and kicks the dog. The dog goes over and bites the cat. The cat climbs up on the little baby and scratches her face and the little baby takes the Barbie doll head and bites off the Barbie doll. It could have all been better, folks, if Dad would have just walked in the house, grabbed the Barbie doll, and bit off the head. It would have saved so much damage. Here's another one. Not time. Pornography. Pornography. After years of secret betrayal, the husband spills the facts of what he does every time he's away on a traveling trip. He talks about why he stays up on the computer late at night. And he says, nothing can stop me. I need to get my fix. I just have to have more porn. And I read a very interesting statistic this week that it is becoming an increasing issue for women as well. In fact, porn is a billion, billion, billion dollar thing. And it's actually just kind of choking people. Still for others, it's anger. They can't control their anger. They lose it all the time. There are holes in different walls that have tried to be patched up before. But the noise and the anger that comes in this house all the time, the kids who hear it and are fearful of it, that can't get patched. 
And yet they would tell you, I just can't control my anger. And friends, the possibilities, like I said at the end, just fill in the blank. Many things that people struggle with that they just can't get control over. It might be workaholism, or watching television all the time, or an internet obsession, or a relationship, or Facebook, or whatever it is. And we just get more and more and more tangled up. That's why Paul, the guy who wrote over half of the New Testament, and is considered one of Jesus' closest disciples, talked about his lack of self-control when he said these words, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is the good I want, or for what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep doing. Can anybody relate to those words at all? Yeah. So the question becomes, is there a power that is available to help us to untangle ourselves? Is there a power to help us get beyond the power of control of those issues in our life? And the answer is yes. And it's a power that we've been talking about all summer long, and if today is your first Sunday here, it's okay. It's a power that's present right now today. It's in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Let's read it together. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, He will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So where does the power come from? What does it say? It says, when the what? When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, all of a sudden we get untangled just a little bit and we're able to start producing some fruit. It's not us doing it ourselves, but it's other people. When the Holy Spirit controls or it's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he produces fruit. So for the rest of our time, what I want to look at is four ways that we can untangle ourselves or four ways that we can grow in this area of self-control. The first thing you have to do that will untangle at least a part of you and to grow in this is that you must admit that I am powerless over certain things. You must admit that I am powerless over certain things. Now, right away, this is a problem for many of us in this room. You know why? Because we think we don't have problems. In fact, some of you, you're not thinking this, but you're like, why does he still have that rope around him? It's bugging you. I'm glad it is. Because that's what sin and things in our lives do. They tangle us up, and sometimes we don't even realize it. 
It's like this old t-shirt that I saw. I was going to put it up, but I thought it was a little bit gross, so uh, I didn't. But it's an old t-shirt. It's, it's a cow who is dead, all fours standing straight up. Rigor mortis has set in. It looks horrible. You know what the caption says? I'm fine. Now, what is this word? What is the word that tells us to say, I'm fine, I'm okay? Well, that word is called denial. Denial. And it's not a river in Egypt. Some of you are going to get that later on. Chuck Mock told me that joke. I think it's the worst joke ever, but I try to give him props. But this is the thing, folks. That's a horrible joke. But denial, denial is not a joke. Denial is when you go through life and this is what you're thinking. Oh, I just have a stomach ache or I just have a headache. But the reality is that you have a cancer that is pervasive and it's going to kill you if you don't learn how to admit what it is and you surrender to the one who knows you best and loves you most. Denial is when you say, hey, I'm really fine. I can break this habit anytime I want. I can control it anytime I want. I can stop this anytime I want. In Texas, they have this saying, if someone says you're a horse's behind, ignore it. If two people tell you're a horse's behind, look in the mirror. If three people tell you you're a horse's behind, go buy a saddle. And you know, if three people tell you that your spending is out of control, if three people tell you that you're work-obsessed, if three people tell you that you're uh, using alcohol or drugs or food or pornography or sex to just kind of dull the pain in your life, if three people tell you that you're wounding your kids with the words that you say and the anger that you show... Go buy a saddle. Folks, the only true antecedent, the only true antidote for denial is one word, and you spell it like this, P-A-I-N, pain. Finally, something comes to a point in your life where there's enough pain that you're going to lose someone or you're going to lose something You're going to lose a mate. You're going to lose a son. You're going to lose a girlfriend. You're going to lose a boyfriend. You're going to lose a daughter. You're going to lose a career. You're going to lose your reputation. You're going to lose a driver's license. You're going to lose your freedom. You're going to lose maybe even your life. And God uses this big megaphone into your life called pain. And then something catastrophic happens happens to you physically, emotionally, financially, spiritually. It's when your son or daughter walks up to you and just says, I hate you. It's the bewilderment when you wake up in the morning and you can't remember what you did the last night or how you said things. It's the arrest of driving under the influence. It's divorce. It's bankruptcy. It's pain that is so great, so overwhelming that finally it just eats through the denial and you say, yep, this is me. And folks, anybody who's ever been a follower of Jesus Christ understands this. 
There had to be a point in their life that said, God, I am powerless over my sins. Powerless over my past. Powerless over my ability to forgive myself. My behavior has become a straitjacket. It's become like a noose wrapped around my neck. I can't do it on my own willpower. It's not just a matter of trying a little bit harder. I am powerless. Now folks, I said powerless, not hopeless. I realize my life's unmanageable. I realize that I can't do this thing on my own. God, I need your help. I just wonder this morning if any of you have reached the point with maybe something in your life, something that only you know, but you're at the point where, man, you're speaking right to me right now. This is one area of my life that I just want to change. And you've got to admit it, that I don't have the strength to do it on my own. And for many people, folks, this is the hardest step because it's humbling. Time management for me is a huge issue. I've been working on it since January. I've shown some progress, but it is difficult in my life. I meet with a person every single week who asks me, how are you doing on your time? Were you on time this week? It's hard to admit to God and to others when you're out of control. Because it's so easy to say, I don't have a problem. Don't be afraid of admitting your issue to other people. That's one of the things that really helped me when January came, is I admitted to all of you, I struggle with this, I need your prayers. It wasn't like people were going around going, really? I never knew Chris Bunch to ever be late in my life. They know. Whatever your issue is that you think you can hide, they know. God knows. You know. Just admit it. About three years ago, I felt this prompting from God that we needed to start a recovery ministry here at the JAR. So many people were coming in struggling with all kinds of issues, not just drugs and alcohol, but depression, divorce, just hurts. We didn't have a place that we could just kind of plug people in. And so I went around, uh, looked at different programs, talked to different people, uh, had breakfast, lunch with folks. Finally came that this Celebrate Recovery Ministry program that was in uh, California was the one that God wanted us to start here. Now one thing I realized that I had to find someone to do it because I couldn't do it myself. I had to mentor someone through a long period of time so that they could do it themselves and they could run with the program. They could build a team of leaders around them. And I prayed about it and I prayed about it and Chuck Mock uh, came to mind. Chuck was growing very strong in his relationship with Christ. He was committed. He was an entrepreneur. He was passionate about who Jesus was. He seemed to me to be the perfect fit. And so I called him and I, uh, on April 24th, I said, hey, let's get together and uh, let's have breakfast. And I got all this stuff and I'm all excited. And I got all these things written down that we're going to do. And we sat down and within two minutes, Chuck confessed, Chris, i got to admit, I just got wasted last night. I got trashed. I'm not sure you want me to lead this thing or not. 
But I promise you this, whether I do this or I don't, last night was my last dream. I'm going to get some people around you. I want you to meet with me. And I'm going to surrender, finally, everything that has held me back to Christ. Well, we had to put off Celebrate Recovery for about six months because Chuck and I met almost weekly, working through those issues. Together we experienced the power of God in a way that we would have never experienced it if He did not admit where He was at. And today I can stand here before you and say two and a half years later, Chuck is still sober. That's something you should clap for. And he's done an incredible job of leading people in Celebrate Recovery. And he's created a fantastic group of leaders who are doing amazing things for our community. And he's full of gratitude in his life. Because the reality is that wasn't the only painful thing he experienced. There was more pain to come. It's with all of us. But he realized that he finally got a little bit of a nudge to where he could give this to God and surrender to Him. It didn't happen overnight, but he was able to surrender. And that leads me to the second main thing. If you want to grow in self-control, folks, you surrender to a power that is greater than yourself, and that's Jesus Christ. There is no power that even compares to Jesus Christ. I went to the Hoover Dam one time. That's a way too long a story to tell you, but we got there, and that is power. There is like this huge power of that water coming down. It doesn't even come to a minuscule piece of sand compared to the power of God. I mean, if God was able to raise the body of His one and only Son so that He could save the entire world, whatever the power is that you don't have in your life that you need, He can give it to you. You can't do it on your own strength. You can't pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You can't do this Lone Ranger thing. There's a guy in the Bible who we already talked about by the name of Paul who talks about a difficult time in his life in which he says this, we were crushed and overwhelmed and saw how powerless we were to help ourselves. But that was good, for then we put everything into the hands of God who alone could save us, and He did help us. Folks, it's only when you finally realize that you're utterly powerless and realize how utterly you powerless you are in this area of your life, will you ever be able to put everything into the hands of God? Jesus put it this way, so if the Son sets you free, what's it say? You will indeed be free. Jesus paid a price to free you of the thing that you can't control. And when you surrender all that you are and you embrace Him as the leader and the forgiver and the lover of your life, His power activates in your life. 
you get more power in your life. Now let me just say this. You are going to be tempted when you walk out this door to go, oh, that's pretty good. I like the rope thing. That's cool. And you'll be tempted. Whatever your issue is, you'll be tempted to not do anything with it except to say, I can do it on my own. I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. I can do it. And folks, most of the issues aren't drug, alcohol related. They're things like management of time. I've told you this before. I want to get so good at that because I don't want my girls ever to be like I was when I was six years old uh, waiting outside for first grade and my dad never showed up. I don't want that to happen. I got two years left, man. I better, you know, get it good. You will try to overcome your lack of self-control on your own, with your own power, and you can't do it. In fact, the Bible says this. I love this phrase. Let's read it together. Just the first question. What's it say? Have you lost your senses? Whoa, 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 whoa. That's not good enough. That sounds like church people. Have you lost your... No. Have you lost your senses? After starting out your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? People start coming to church and they're like, man, I'm getting, I'm good. I get baptized and I'm doing better. I've been a Christian for ten years. I'm still doing good. Come to your senses. You can't do it on your own. You see, this is what happens. We trust Christ to set us free, and then we try to stay free all by ourselves. I hope you hear that. We trust Christ to try to set us free, and then we try to stay free all by ourselves. And so what happens is we fall right back into destructive behaviors. We fall right back into old patterns. We try to overcome things with our own strength, our own willpower, our own ingenuity, our own human effort. But Paul says, have you lost your senses? Translated, duh! Don't you remember what broke you in the first place? You can't do that on your own. You've got to admit you're powerless and then tap into the power that is greater than yourself. This past May, uh, we were on vacation, and um, my uncle, uh, we had a, he had died in January, and so we had a memorial service for him. And we had to find a vehicle that would kind of take care of all of us. And so my wife went on, and, you know, you'd think like budget, you know, rent a car, enterprise, anything like this. Carl's Van Service. We get there, and I'm not hip about Carl's van service at all. And all they had was these big white vans. Like, there was no minivan. There was no luxury van. It was like those white vans from Ball State, you know, that the utility guys are in, and, you know, they're sweating all the time. And I'm like, oh, don't say anything. Oh, honey, I'm so glad we're at Carl's vans, you know. So we get to Carl's vans, and uh, actually, my wife hit it out the park. The van was awesome. When you have two kids, that means you've got luggage for 40. And so, you know, we, we had the back all taken care of. 
and uh, my parents went, and they're over 70. So that's a whole other issue. You know, if you're over 70, I love you, but, you know, things are different when you hit 70 and over. See, some of you are laughing. You're not taking this the wrong way. But we all get into Carl's fans. We have a great trip. Band is awesome. You know, I'm going, man, I'm going to recommend Carl's bands to everybody. Last day, we're at SeaWorld, and uh, I'm like, you know, let's stay as long as we can. And uh, so I call them, and I say, hey, can we have a different drop-off? And all I got was a voicemail. And they said, but we'll call you right back. Well, they never called. And I said, hey, you know, this isn't going to be a problem. I dropped Jen and the girls off. My parents uh, drove my uncle's car back uh, from Florida to Indiana. And uh, I pull up into Carl's Vans, and it's five before six. They're supposed to close at six. And I walk up, and I try to open the door, and it's locked. There's a guy that's over there getting ready to get in his car, and he goes, they're closed. I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks. Needed that, you know. So I'm panicking now. My wife, my one-year-old, my three-year-old are at the airport, and, like, how am I going to get there? So I ask the guy, I go, hey, sir, you know, I have a three-year-old, I have a one-year-old. You know, could you please help me out? He goes, nope. I got things to do. So they have this emergency number on this uh, little, you know, plate that's near the door. And so I pull out my cell phone. I start ready to call it. And the guy yells out to me. He goes, you know, we close at 6 o'clock. And then it just hit me. That guy works here. So I walk out to him. I'm like, I know, and I'm looking. It's like 5.58. I'm like, well, sir, look at He's like, well, I'm sorry, but I can't do anything for you. I can't help. i got things to do. I said, well, I'll just call this number then. He's like, well, let me call my boss. I'm thinking that whatever that number was I was getting ready to call, that was the boss's number. So he calls his boss, and he's ticked off. He goes back in. He's, you know, you know, has to turn on the computer system, and then he says, you owe a dollar and 59 cents. One of the things that ties me down sometimes is anger. I've dealt with anger my whole life, and this is what I really wanted to do. Okay, we won't go there, but... I talked about the jerk scale a few uh, weeks ago, you know, that uh, 1 to 10, 10 being the biggest jerk. This guy was like a million. Raymond. Is there anyone here named Raymond? I hope not. Man, I don't like that name. I don't. But you know what I do? Each day when I wake up, I pray because it's huge in my life. I put my hand through walls before. I just got to surrender every single day. God, I can't control my anger today. Would you please help me to do that? Help me to love the way that you love. So Raymond's on the other side of the counter, and I'm starting to do counting because I learned that in anger management class. I get to 10, get to 100, get to 1,000. Then I pray silently, Lord, help me not to kill this man. I know he's your child, and you may see him soon. Uh, and I rode in that van for 10 minutes until we got to the airport. Didn't say a word. And I just felt a prompting by the Spirit 
Chris, this is my child. And I was like, God, but he was such a jerk. I just felt this sense. You know what? You are too sometimes. And I um, took all the strength I had, but I looked and I said, Raymond, thank you. And I got out of the van. Folks, I need a power in my life as your pastor. I want you to hear this very clearly. Every single day of my life that is greater than me to help me control my anger because I can't do it myself. I'm too weak. I'm way too weak. And friends, the same power that was in me on that day is the same power that can be given to every single one of us. And it's a power that I'm convinced of that could change all of Muncie, all of Delaware County, all of East Central Indiana, if we just had a few people that said, I want that power more than I want power in my life. Here's the third thing that can help you in self-control. Lean on the support of others. Lean on the support of others. You see, what I've learned is that sometimes God releases His power into other people. His power is in other people to help us to get through whatever the issue is that we're struggling with. I love our Celebrate Recovery folks because they're real. 7 o'clock here on Thursday, if you got an issue, don't go, oh, I got an issue. Because you got an issue. But whatever it is, just come. No one's going to pull you out. No one's going to be like, hey, what's your issue? They'll learn fast enough, you know. But I love these folks because they're the healthiest and most authentic people that I know. They talk honestly and openly about who they are. Many of them have a sponsor or an accountability partner. If they're struggling with something like depression or grieving or something else. And right now, some of you are saying, nope, I could never do that. No way. You see, what happens, folks, we get set free by Christ, but then all of a sudden, like I said earlier, we want to be the ones that keeps us free. And you can't do it on your own. You don't have enough self-control. You need to lean on people around you. If you would, let's uh, read this next verse together. It's in James. It'll come up on the screen. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Now notice how absolutely essential it is that you admit your faults to another person in order for healing to happen. You have to do that first before you can be healed. Folks, freedom comes in people's lives when they take risk to reveal themselves to one person. Now, I'm not telling that you need to tell everybody you don't. But one person who you know is confident, one person who's connected to God, who's growing in God, that you can just say, you know what, I'll tell that person something. You don't want somebody that's going to post it on Facebook. And there are people in the church, I hate to say it, there are some people right around here. They might do that. You don't want that person. But there are some people in this place that you could tell them something and they'd go to their death, never telling anyone else. But they'd help you grow. They'd help you work through it. 
And today there are a couple of dozen people that meet together on Thursday nights just to work through that. And you might be battling depression or anger or divorce. It might be alcohol or drugs. It might be sexual abuse. I just read a statistic. Girls before the age of 16 will be sexually assaulted 60%. My girls. So maybe that's an issue. Maybe it's an issue that you had as an adult. Maybe you're grieving the loss of someone or something or some relationship. Or you just feel lonely. I got an email from someone this week that just said, I feel so lonely. And I thought to myself, don't do it by yourself. The Bible says this. Two are better than one. Because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. We're to help each other out. That's why we have this thing called the jar. We don't want anyone to ever stand alone. We want people to be able to do life and community together because we know that's the best way that you can become the healthiest you. Not what I think you should be. Not what anyone else thinks you to be. But what God says is the healthiest you. And God wired us for community. You need people around you. That's why we have small groups. If you're like, I can't do Celebrate Recovery, join a small group. Because you need people around you who are constantly saying, we believe in you. Don't worry about it. We got your back. We'll believe in God for you. You can't carry this right now? Here, let me carry it. We're going to pull you through this crisis. You can lean on me. Anybody of you, any of you know who Bill Withers is? All these old people. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, Bill Withers wrote Lean on Me. Now, I was going to sing it for you. But I didn't want Derek to lose his job. And so, uh, but I'm not going to sing it, but I just want to read these words to you. Sometimes in our lives, we all have pain. We all have sorrow. But if we are wise, we know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on. For it won't be long till I'm going to need somebody to lean on. Because that's, it. that's the truth, folks. You can lean on other people for a while, but eventually you're going to need some other folks, and you are going to have to be the one who they lean on. Here's the last thing. Help others with the help I have received. Help others with the help I have received. You see, folks, when you have a hurt or a struggle or a weakness, most of us, what we want to do is hide it. We want to bury it. Just like this, we want to kind of say that we're not tangled up to anything. But this is the weird thing about the God that we believe here in the jar and that Christians throughout the beginning of time have believed in. He loves to do surprises with your biggest failure. Your most glaring weakness. Your most destructive habit. Eventually, if you bring it to the light and you work through it, that has the most power to touch other people's lives. 
The Bible says this, He, that is God, comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When others are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. When others are troubled, when others need understanding, when they need encouragement, when they need someone to talk truthfully to them, when they need someone to just kind of kick them in their rear, who's the best person to do that? It's the person who has gone through exactly what they've gone through. Those who've experienced alcoholism or an eating disorder or spending issues or financial mismanagement, those who were addicted to pornography, those who've gambled their life away, those who've struggled with anger issues, they're the best people to be able to share it with other folks. And let me just say, the greatest way you can do this, folks, is not by reading a book, but it's simply by telling your story. Your story is the most powerful thing you have to offer other people. Because you can tell them. It all started when I said I'm powerless. I can't manage my own life. You know, God, I surrender to you. Set me free. I need you. The reality is, folks, we all need God. Regardless of what the issue is, we need Him in our life. And maybe just today would be your turning point. Just like for Chuck, it was at a breakfast table. Maybe today is your day that you say, you know what? He's right. I know this thing. I'm done. I admit it. I surrender to Christ. I want to learn how to give my life away. We're going to put up the first slide that I put up with all the different words of uh, the different issues that you might have. And I'd like you to just look at those, and maybe one of those would just kind of say, ah, yeah, that's, that's it for me. And if none of those words, I just would ask that maybe God would give that word to you right now. And we're going to close doing something a little bit differently something that I uh, experienced at a conference that I was at this week, and I, I just thought it was so powerful. Sometimes we close in songs, sometimes we do other things, but, but every once in a while we just need to close in prayer, not standing up and me praying, but for you to just kind of pray to God yourself. And so what I'd like you to do, I'd like you to go ahead and just put your hands out like this, just like I'm doing, with your palms faced up. And uh, for some of you, you might be like, man, this feels weird, I don't want to do this. Well, everybody's going to close their eyes here in just a second, and so no one else will see. So if you're like this right now, that's okay. And if you don't want to do it, that's okay too. But I'm going to lead us through a prayer, and I want those words to be your words not mine. And we're going to rededicate our life to Christ. We're going to give whatever that issue of self-control is in our life to Him. And it'll just be a moment that I think could be really powerful. Let's pray. Lord, You know the struggles I face.
you know the temptations to do what I want to do. You know the desires that make me feel sick and sometimes I can't even believe I do those. I ask right now that you would help me with whatever that area is that was on the screen or the one that you're just pressing into me right now that is out of control. Help me to admit it, surrender it to you right now, to lean on some people and to trust that you will use this to help other people. Lord, help me now. I rededicate myself to you. Guide me, Lord. And may I demonstrate your mercy to everyone I meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up. And we're going to hit you with some lean on me. Here we go.